MLB is changing the way a lot of things are done for 2024. Here's what you need to know about the minor league rule changes. You are Locked On MLB Prospects, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, welcome on in to Locked On MLB Prospects, your home for all things minor league baseball. I'm your host, Lindsey Crosby, award-winning baseball writer and podcaster. Thank you for making this your first listen every single day. We're proudly part of the Locked On Podcast Network, where it's your team every day. And today's episode is made possible by our friends at FanDuel. Make every moment more. New customers, join today, and you'll get $150 in bonus bets if your first bet of $5 or more wins. Visit FanDuel.com slash locked on to get started. So entering the 2024 season, uh, spring training has officially started. We saw the Padres and the Dodgers square off on Thursday afternoon. I believe the Dodgers scored like seven runs in the first inning. Just absurd. But I think it's time to talk about some of the things that are changing across minor league baseball for 2024. And one of the big things is... We've changed the dates of the complex league schedule. Commonly called rookie ball, the Arizona Complex League, the Florida Complex League is all 30 teams having players play in games at the complex. Last year, the the schedule started in June 5th and it ran through August 22nd. And obviously, those of you who know where things are on the MLB calendar, it means that when you drafted your draft class, Late there in the early to mid part of July, you had time to sign those players. The signing deadline is August 1st and get them into some complex league action before the season ended. Now, the complex leagues are being moved up a month. So, May 4th is the new date to start complex league play, and the seasons will end on July 25th. So now you're in a scenario where the Complex League will end before you've actually signed the contracts of a lot of your draftees. And there's good and bad with this change. This is something that was done at the winter meetings. The 30 farm directors got together and voted on this. Fun fact, I actually walked past that ballroom and I saw the sign and I was like, hey, are we allowed to go in there? No, it's media can't come in. It's it's literally only team personnel. So it would have been fun to be in there in the room for that to hear the debate. Now, again... Pros and cons to this move of moving the Complex League schedule up a month. So, one of the pros, and I hadn't really thought about this. I think it was Jay Cooper of Baseball America uh, put this out in a tweet. You no longer have to play games outside in Arizona in August. You've traded the month of August games for a month of May games. And in Arizona in August, the average high is 104. whereas In May, it's still hot. It's in the 90s, but it's not 104. And so it gives you a little bit of like relief from a temperature perspective for for players who are in the Arizona Complex League. And my initial take on this whole thing was it's not good, right? Because it makes it harder for you to get drafted players into games. And... That is true, but there are some side effects that offset this. One side effect is you have a better opportunity to evaluate international players. Uh, You have limits. This is 
the next segment, but you have limits to how many players you can have in your organization, but those limits are only stateside. When those players are in the Dominican at your academy, it doesn't count towards your limit. And so moving the calendar up like this gives you an opportunity to have your complex league teams be mostly, not entirely, but mostly international players coming stateside. You bring the best of the best from your from the last two signing classes you had over there over to the States, and you give them an opportunity to play a full schedule. Again, it is June, it is May, June, July. It is three months of games. And you get an opportunity to evaluate them in more of static conditions than when you're swapping in and out drafted players, sending prepsters who were just in high school a couple weeks ago, now playing college players who are in before they go to a full season, things like that. It does give you a better opportunity to evaluate uh, international free agents that you have brought stateside to determine, are they ready for a full season affiliate? You can ease that transition into professional baseball. That is difficult if you think about for any 17, 18 year old young man coming to a new country where he doesn't probably doesn't speak the language, having to go and be that professional ball player playing baseball six days a week. Like it is hard to do from a mental and emotional perspective. And so you ease them into it a little bit more by letting them stay in the complex for a couple months. And then if they do well, you can still put them in a full season affiliate uh, after complex league ends because you still have. Uh, the entire month of August and a good portion of September for complex or for minor league action to happen before the minor league season ends. Again, I was concerned when I heard this announcement about what it meant for drafted players. And again, shout out Baseball America, pay for baseball content. Baseball America had some great notes about how often college hitters, prep hitters, college pitchers, prep pitchers make it into full season ball in their draft year. You'll remember in 2021, Minor, uh, Major League Baseball took over the minors. Uh, they, they took control over the minors, and so they set a lot of stuff up. Prior to that happening, about 35% of college pitchers pitched in full season ball in their draft year. But now that you're in that scenario where you have eliminated short seasons uh, and a lot of those other Temp, like not full season leagues, but they're shorter leagues. Now, 70% of college hitters make it into full season ball in their first, like in their draft year. So most of them are already making it to full season ball and eliminating the complex league shouldn't have that much of an impact on that because most of them weren't staying there anyway. Now, prep hitters almost never made it to full season ball in their draft year prior to 2021, it was like 6% of the time. Now, it's about 26%. So one in four make it into full season ball. You're probably going to have to tick that up a little bit. But you do have the ability, the higher drafted ones who are ready to go can go straight into full season ball. And then the ones, the later round ones, maybe ones that aren't quite ready can stick behind, do instructional work and things like that. And then get sent to an affiliate the next year. And several scouting directors told Baseball America, like, we've already discussed having informal games with other organizations that are near us geographically. The West Coast of Florida, everybody's close by in Arizona, uh, the East Coast of Florida, things like that. Having teams uh, come together and play each other informally with much more relaxed rules, right? If somebody's having trouble getting out of an inning, you can just end the inning. If you run out of pitchers, you can just end the game, right? 
Now, pitchers have always been a different story as far as getting to full season ball in their draft year. Uh, pre Previous to 2021, it was around 36 to 37% of college pitchers made it to full season ball in their draft year. That has not really changed since 2021. It's still around 36, 37%. Prep pitchers, same kind of thing. They were 10 to 13% before, 10 to 13% after. So your hitters, for the most part, were already making it. Your college hitters were already making it to full season ball in their draft years. The real place where you're going to see struggles are those later round prep uh, position players who weren't necessarily, who probably aren't necessarily ready to go out to a full season affiliate after getting drafted. You'll probably have them stick around for instructs and then wrap around. They may spend some time in complex the next year before spending a partial season with like in single A and doing things like that. There is another interesting quirk that uh, I noted here that you had to see. And it was, uh, there are uh, rule five implications with the complex league being moved up earlier. Long story short, if a player signed after the draft and were assigned to a team who had already finished their defined season, then that year did not count towards the player's Rule 5 draft status. And so you can see now at opening, if July, 20, if, if July 25th is when Complex League ends, and we have until August 1st to sign the guy, we can sign him in that five or six day span there, assign him to the Complex League, and that year doesn't count towards his Rule 5 status. MLB is proactively changing that rule where you have to sign the player or you have to assign the player to an in, like if there is an in-season minor league level, you have to assign a player to an in-season minor league level so you can't take advantage of this rule. So thought that was interesting. Probably five people care about that, but I thought it was fun. I mentioned earlier that there's a limit to how many players you can carry in your minor leagues domestically. MLB is lowering that limit. Let's talk about what that's going to do to the ability to get jobs for guys. We'll do that next right here on Locked on MLB Prospects. But first, today's episode is brought to you by our friends at Backblaze. It's an on- Backblaze is an online storage uh, product that provides a foundation for businesses, for developers, for IT professionals, and individuals to host content, manage media, and then most importantly, back up and archive their data. So they have over 3 billion gigs of data storage under management, work with over 500,000 customers in over 175 countries. They have helped restore over 55 billion files for their customers. If all of this sounds good to you, you can get unlimited cloud backup for your Mac or PC for $99 a year. If you have a business, it works on multiple workstations. They give you one-year file retention and version history. And if you need it, you can get your hard drive restored by mail and shipped to you rather than downloading your files back from the cloud. To receive a fully featured no-risk trial, go to backblaze.com slash MLB. It'll give you plenty of time to upload and download some files to see if you like it. But seriously, back your stuff up. I have every single audio file from every single show I have ever done for this podcast saved online in the cloud as well as locally on a server here. Go to backblaze.com slash locked MLB. Sign up for the free trial. 
See why the New York Times, Inc. Magazine, and Tom's Guide have all recommended you use Backblaze. Okay, so to go along with the change to the Complex League, there is another change being made, and this one unilaterally by MLB, that will lower the number of players that organizations can have in their minor leagues domestically. So entering 2024, the rule was in the offseason, you can have 190 players. And in the regular season, you can have 180 in your minor league organization domestically. And by that, like I alluded to earlier, that means that players in like your international free agents that are down in the Dominican do not count against your 100 and then 80, now 165 player limit. When MLB negotiated the collective bargaining agreement with the minor leagues for the minor leaguers, one of the things that MLB insisted that they got, and they got, was the ability to change the size of this list. Now, there was a little bit of protection here. MLB was required to give at least, or to wait at least one year before they could reduce the size of the list. And I don't believe it can go lower than the current 165. But the point is, they could and did cut jobs. This equals, so it's from 180 in season to 165. So 15 jobs per organization. You had four full season teams and your complex. So that's three guys from each team, right? But that comes out to 450 minor leaguers that potentially had jobs last year that won't have jobs this year. And there's a lot of cascading changes or cascading results from this change that can really change things for a lot of guys in the minor leagues. So the first one is because you can't use the minor league 60-day IL until mid-March when the actual full season ball begins playing, Unlike right now, you can use the Major League 60 IO now. You can move, the Major League team can cr- clear a 40-man roster spot by putting somebody on the 60-day IL at the Major League level. You cannot do that in the minors. You can't get access to the 60-day IL for the minors until mid-March. And so what that means is you probably have injured players that are taking a spot right now in your organization You don't want to get rid of those players, but you can't use that spot until really the end of spring training. And so if there is a player that you want to bring as a non-roster invitee to spring training who is not in your organization, this is the first year where farm directors have said you have to decide which young player you want to get rid of out of your organization to get the roster spot to bring the non-roster invitee to spring training unless you sign the guy to a major league deal and then the money's a lot higher and it's guaranteed, right? And the quote that was given, I actually believe it was to Baseball America again, was, quote, you can't take flyers on guys anymore because every time you want to bring in somebody out from outside the organization as a non-roster invitee, you have to lose a player in your minor leagues, remove them from your minor leagues completely because you only get 165 spots instead of 180. And then 
you can only move, I think you can only move 15 players to that 60-day IL. So when that 60-day IL opens in mid-March, you do have the ability to add some guys then in mid-March, add some guys for your minor leagues, but you don't, like, depending on how many injured players you have, it will determine how many guys you can add, but you don't have the excess space. Not every team used all 180 spots, but every team is projected to be at 165 because most of them hovered in the mid-170s if they weren't maxed out, they had a couple spots in there in case they had to sign. They wanted to sign a free agent from Indie Ball or something else like that. You also now, there's certain guys in your organization, it might be tougher for you to keep them as long as you want to because you don't have a spot for them, right? And the, the example that was given here was catcher's the hardest position to take and stick somebody in if you in an emergency need somebody. And so most organizations would have an extra catcher or two that would be in the organization. They wouldn't play a ton, right? They probably, they might not even have been on an active roster somewhere, but they were used uh, at the complex for guys who were rehabbing. They were used for bullpens. They were used for side work. They were there in an emergency in case you had dealing with injuries. You could move this guy to single A, move him to double A, move him to high, wherever you needed him as emergency depth. And now it's harder to do that. And so there's been discussion about teams may just have to hire a former college catcher or something and just have them as a staff member for the organization, not making minor league money, but making employee money, making some sort of hourly wage because they can't keep that guy in here. There's also been discussion about it's harder now, it feels like, for the development list. Because the idea of the development list is... You don't have to fake an injury. You can just take a guy out of competition, put him on the development list, give him a week, two weeks, whatever, away from game competition to work on whatever's bothering him. It's most common with pitchers. We did a show or a segment about this last year. But one of the issues here is he still counts on your 165. And now that you're short, again, 15 players in your organization, you went from 180 to 165. It is your short multiple players at each level. It is now harder for you to take yet another player away from your team and just leave that minor league team shorthanded, especially with how uh, starters in the lower levels have significantly lower workloads than usual, right? Uh, Normally down there, you'll see a guy who will, his start will be three innings and that's the plan the whole time. Because you can carry extra pitchers, you can have, you don't have to have evenly sized rosters at every level. If you have 180 guys, extra 15 guys, you can put seven of them in single A, six of them in single A, and have maybe one or two extra guys in triple A. Now, you've lost all of these spots, it's going to disproportionately affect single A and high A, those younger pitchers that can't go as deep. And so that's going to be an issue this upcoming season, is trying to figure out how to balance the need to get get prospects enough time, enough innings to develop, but not asking them to do too many innings that is a significant workload jump or more than physically they can handle. So that's going to be a thing there. And you will probably see more instances of teams occasionally grabbing veteran minor league free agents 
and having them throw 160 innings in the minors because you need the innings from somewhere, right? Somebody has to give you those innings. So it's interesting there. And then position players who are versatile, I think, have a better chance of sticking around in the minors. You can have guys, they can play multiple positions. That's helpful because you in general have less depth. If they can pitch, that's helpful for you because you can throw him out there in a blowout and just save one more guy and things like that. You're going to see that look differently in the minors because every organization has lost 15 players from what they had last year. In just a minute, we were asked about how would expansion at the major league level impact the minors. We made some calls. I'll tell you what we found out next right here on Locked on MLB Prospects. But first, today's episode is brought to you by our friends at FanDuel. You can get buckets with your first bet on FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 bet. It's $150 if your bet wins. Tons of NBA players and teams you can bet on. Quick bets, live same game parlays, exclusive props, and more. So go get your $150 in bonus bets and use them on all of the MLB odds. Your individual awards your futures, your World Series winner, all of that stuff. Visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn to shoot your shot with FanDuel, the official sportsbook of the Locked On Podcast Network. Final segment here on Locked On MLB Prospects, and something that came across a lot in our Discord this week was the fallout from the report, the article that ESPN put out about major league expansion and how the league wants to expand to 32 teams instead of 30, and what that would mean for the minor leagues. And we did some research, we called some people, some friends of the show, got some info about what could change when this happens. And a couple things here, I think one of the things we have to all understand is we don't really know now exactly what this would look like. Because the last time you added teams in the minor leagues was not, or last time you added teams at the major league level was 1998. Uh, that was when Tampa and Arizona started playing. And that process was different then than it's definitely going to be now. So they started play at the major league level in 1998. But those organizations started drafting in 1996. They drafted players in both 96 and 97. They signed international free agents. They had a rookie ball team in 1996. They had a single A in 1997. And so all of the players that were not fitting into one of those places were sent to an independent ball team that was going to be affiliated with the new organization, right? It's hard to imagine in 2027 or 8 or whatever this would be, MLB teams would be comfortable taking the much larger dollar amounts that you see with the MLB draft now and sending those players to an independent ball team somewhere to go get work in, right? It, what's wild to me, Tampa and Arizona didn't make their double-A teams till 1999, right? So what it would look like now, based on the people that we've talked to, and what they've told us is, one, you have to recreate a farm system, but you need to do all of the legwork up front 
for when the team would begin drafting, signing international free agents, and things like that. Your teams would probably come from some of the disaffiliated teams that lost their minor league uh, setup in 2021 when MLB contracted the minor leagues. But the way this this would probably set up would be you would need to have all of that stuff figured out when you started drafting. And the thing that I'm really curious about how this works is the timing, right? Because in 2021, in like February, the 120 teams that kept their affiliations all received a 10-year professional development license. And that was officially what they needed to be part of the minor leagues for that organization. And all of these new teams that you have to bring back into the fold, do you set them up? Do you target 2031 for them so that they are on that same 10-year timeline as everybody else? Do you give them, if you bring them in, let's say you bring them in 29, do you give them a 12-year license so that they then line up with everybody in 2031? Or what do you do there? And some of the feedback we've gotten is that expansion is probably in the early 2030s. This is not a thing that's going to happen in the next two or three years. They're looking way down the road. Obviously, you'll have to answer these questions years in advance, but the actual play probably wouldn't start until the early 2030s. So maybe you could do 2031. We know, say in 2029, we know that this independent ball team in two years will be joining Nashville's minor leagues or Salt Lake City's minor leagues or Portland's minor leagues or Montreal's minor leagues or whatever. So that's an interesting question there. And then the Players Association does have to sign off and approve of your minor league plan. Where the teams are, the player requirements, lodging, the transportation, all of the stuff in the CBA, the Players Association would need to sign off before that team can begin playing. And unlike when you updated in the middle of this decade, when you updated the ballpark standards for minor league teams, and they are still working on getting in compliance. It's been a graduated rollout over a couple years with increasing and escalating penalties every year for not being in compliance. From what I understand, from what I've been told, all of those minor league teams would have to be in full compliance with every aspect of the ballpark regulations on day one. So, if you start playing in 2031, let's say you're targeting these two teams, these two major league teams will start in 2033, but your minor leagues are going to start in 2031. You're going to draft players in 2030, and then you'll start play opening day 2031 in the minors. Your ballparks have to be 100% compliant in 2031. Everything from the exact slope of the outfield to having covered bullpens the proper nutrition space, medical space, umpire space, all of the stuff that's in the ballpark facility standards now that minor league teams are still working towards compliance, you would have to have that done on day one in the minors whenever that would be. And so it's obvious that this is not going to be a quick process. If MLB decides on Friday that, hey, We're going to add teams. Here are the cities where we're going to add the two major league franchises. And I believe Salt Lake City and Nashville are the favorites as of right now, according to the ESPN article. I still think it would be closer to 2030 before you actually see games being played 
simply because you have to find some uh, investors that have enough money to pay the incredibly large expansion fee. There was talk about it being a billion dollar expansion fee. You have to be able to pay that. You have to be able to coordinate your four affiliates because you're going to have your four full season leagues. Plus you have to find a spring training facility. Plus you have to set up an academy in the Dominican. There is a lot of capital investment and a lot of work required to figure out expansion at the minor league levels. Really interesting there. Uh, either way, it's going to be tons of fun. It's going to be really interesting. And it's very early, but I predict right now in 2031, you will see a lot of movement of organizations potentially changing affiliations, changing teams they work with and things like that, because all 120 PDLs are up at the same time. And they that is the time to extract concessions as far as new ballparks, all that kind of stuff. And so watch for that. Next week is Breakout Prospect Week. We're going to do a Monday back like always, and then we're going to do four shows about Breakout Prospects. Two for hitters, two for pitchers. The goal is going to be one hitter show for the lower minors, one for the upper minors. Same thing, pitcher show lower minors, pitcher show upper minors. What I need from you, the everydayers, I need one mailbag questions. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Crosby Baseball, shows on Twitter at Locked On Farm. We have a Discord, we have an email, all that stuff. Let me see those. But two, if you want to nominate a player for a breakout season in 2024, let me know, obviously, the player in the organization. Give me a quick sentence or two as to why. I'm going to go through those, collect the best ones. We're going to evaluate all of them, yes or no. Some of them will make it on the show. Some of them might be restricted to the Discord only. Some of them might be saved for outtakes. If you give me something hilarious, we'll maybe use it there. But I want to hear from you who you think will be a breakout in 2024. Enjoy the spring training games this weekend. And until next time, remember, it's always a great time to pay a minor leader.